KISS. From the beautiful hills of Encino, California, where industry and nature work hand-in-hand to create a better life for all of us, I am the legendary Burl Bear, the man in the lawyer chair, Don Waldman. And our show is all about love and marriage. (laughs) Well, that's something you know about, Don, being a famous famous divorce attorney. You've had more than your fair share of wives, I believe. I guess not enough. (laughs) Well, you've got one now. I I haven't seen the expiration date on her yet. (laughs) You know, some people, as they say, strive for greatness. Others have greatness thrust upon them. And there, there are those who seek fame and notoriety. Wow, you're just flowering today. And then there are those who never planned on fame, never planned on notoriety. Good example. And then one day, Mary Jo, you were the last person who ever expected this degree of notoriety. Am I, oh, watch out. Am I correct? Yes, you are very correct. This is a hell of a way to get attention. I don't recommend it. <laughs> no, I, I would not think so. Uh, I mean, th- there you were living what you thought was a normal life. Yeah, yeah Don, I mean, where, where were you? I could have used Don services a few uh, years ago. <laughs> well, I was here on the West Coast, and you were somewhere else. I guess, I guess. Tell us about how the incident played out originally for our listeners. Well, uh, it was back, it'll be 18 years this year, can you believe it? May 19th. No, because it's, it's, it, it never seems to go away because of your ex and his annex. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, he even, even did a bad job repairing our producer's car. Is that right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, that's actually true. Yeah. What what made them go there? I mean, well, well it was it. it was here and uh, back. And tell you himself if we can get him back in the room. Uh, I was here in Los Angeles. And I guess Al Goldstein uh, introduced the two of them and said, "Hey, uh, ah. Joey will do a fine job on your car." <laughs> Wrong, but that's that's ah. a whole other. We'll let Matt tell that story. But oh, he's, he he walks by. All right, let's go back eighteen yeah. years. I want to hear the replay again. Okay. All right. Well, I was, you know, at the time, I was a 37-year-old housewife with two young children who were 12 and 9, and I lived in the town that I grew up in, and Joey and I, and we both grew up and lived in the same neighborhood all of our lives. And uh, one day, I'm in the backyard painting a bench, which I had planned to do because the weather was so nice, and the doorbell rang. And I could see through the backyard, through the front, and see this girl standing outside. And it was 12 o'clock on a Tuesday. The sun is shining, and cars are driving by, and lawnmowers are lawnmowering. Another day in suburbia. Exactly, in a town where nothing like this ever happens, ever. And um, I went and answered the door, and, you know, when I went, she said, Are you Mrs. Buttafuoco? And I said, Yeah. And she said, well, I need to talk to you about your husband, Joe. And I said, okay. So, you know, there's no thought that, I mean, she knows who I am. And I see beyond her, I see a kid, another guy in a car across the street. So my first thought was up, oh, they're looking for an estimate for the car. And that, because that had right. not gone on for years. That's what he did. If somebody had an accident, he'd say, I'll oh, bring it by the shop and we'll take a look at it. So that was my thought. And I stepped outside. And I didn't, you know, she was a young teenage girl. She was 17 at the time, but to me, she looked like she was about 12. Um, and she proceeded to tell me that Joey was having an affair with her little sister. And <laughs> with her little sister. Yeah, if she's 12 and she's got a little sister, that's just sounding really scary. 
I'm looking at her and I'm going, and that was like the very first thing I said. I went, your little sister, how old are you? I didn't accept what she said. I started questioning her and she said, well, I'm 19 and my sister is 16. And I go, okay, what's your name? And she gave me a name. She said, my name is Anne-Marie. And we talked for about a minute and a half and I said to her, I'm having a hard time believing what you're telling me. But listen, I'll go in the house and I'll tell Joe that you came by. And in my own head, I'm like, oh, for Christ's sake, what did he do now? What's he up to now? <laughs> but it, I didn't take it. I had no fear. I had no thought that anything was going to happen to me. And in that second that I said, I'm going to go in and call Joe and tell him you came by, I turned my head to the right. I apparently got my hand on the screen door because they said after the police said there was blood on the inside of the door jam. And in that Split second, she pulled a gun out of her pocket, aimed it at my head, and pulled the trigger. Wow. And do you remember anything from that impact at all? I remember everything. And the impact, I felt like I had got hit in the head with a baseball bat. But my only conscious thought before I went out was, where did she get the bat? Like... <laughs> I knew I had been slammed somehow. It didn't hurt, but I felt this impact and this explosion. I heard it, but I didn't know what it was. You and are the luckiest woman it. on the face of the earth. Yeah. To be yeah. here and talking to us. And you still it, got it that bullet incredible. in there, don't you, Mary Jo? Yes, yes. It was from a twenty-five caliber, so it was a small gun, but, you know, trust me, any gun is... Yeah. Any gun that shoots you in the head is not the gun you want, right? I was going to say, when she hit me, uh, she was only about three inches from it, from wow. my skull. So it, the impact, it went in. And I was in motion, and I guess she was in motion, because it just happened so fast, that it, the impact, it went in, like, right in front of my ear, uh, and, like, slammed into my temporal mandibular joint, and then took, and then broke up and took this downward uh, projection toward my spinal column, and, and that's mm. right there. It's about a quarter of an inch away oh, from that. Geez. Right. Wasn't she wearing a T-shirt with his uh, auto shop on it? She brought it to me. It was one. It was the prop, I guess, when, when um, she said she had proof that her little sister was having an affair with Joe. She handed me the auto body shirt. Now, here's where this is how we found out who, what happened or who did this. Um, Joey always, his, his parents, his family had owned this auto body shop for 35, 40 years. This was a well-established business on Long Island. It was a family-run business. And just like banks used to give out pens or toasters right. or whatever, um, they would give T-shirts out. They had so it, anybody could have one of these. It was no... No, well, no, no here's, here's the difference. The week before I got shot, Joe had come home with the new T-shirts. They had been polo shirts up to that point no collar just a regular t-shirt and this new batch was the golf shirts with the two buttons with, with a collar right and you know we all wore them i wore them for painting the kids wore them for uh, going to sleep in as, as my daughter used to wear it would be long on her as, as pajamas right and so there was nothing to it he came home with this new batch of t-shirts and said it, the logo was a little different it was brand new so the, what happened was I went into a coma, and they made an assumption that a man did this. It had to be a man because the my backyard, I, you could see I had been painting. The can was open. The brush was on the can. It was a bench was half painted. 
And the assumption at the time was she must have been attacked in the backyard and ran around to the front of the house because I was shot out in the front. <laughs> and mm -hmm. it wasn't until I woke up and I said it was a girl. First of all, that blew them away when I said it was a teenage girl. And I wrote, I couldn't speak because I had a, a trach, uh, tracheotomy right. and they had a tube in me for breathing. But I remembered the things she said. I remember she said she was 19. I remembered her. She said her name was Anne-Marie. And I motioned to them. They gave me a yellow pad. And I started writing down these things. Anne-Marie, 19 years old, T-shirt. I wrote this down. And they couldn't believe, like, she's got to be out of her mind. What do you mean a 19-year-old girl? They just had no idea or thought that that could even be in the realm of a possibility. How quickly did they so, tie this into Joey? Well, when... When I did come to, and they took the tubes out, and, and um, they started, the police came in and started questioning me, I said it was one of the new T-shirts, Joe. It was one of the new ones, the ones we just got last week. And he turned around and very nonchalantly said, I only gave out one of those shirts, and that was to Mr. Fisher's daughter. That's mm -hmm. what he said. And then they said, who's that? And she said, he said, Amy Fisher. And they looked at me and said, are you sure that her name wasn't Amy? And I said, no, she told me her name was Anne-Marie. And they wound up going back to the auto body shop and getting um, the papers, because she had had her car repaired there like two dozen times. Probably, due, probably due to the fine quality of his work. <laughs> well, it was then. <laughs> that's I, I that's a play on words. <laughs> <laughs> and that was how they arrested her, and I put, you know, pulled her out of a lineup. I said, that's her. It's amazing that and you the rest is history. It's amazing that you lived. It well, was, uh, yeah, I, I, to this day, I, I wonder, I remember my friends saying to me when they first heard, when the word went out that Mary Jo was shot in the head in front of her house, uh, and that we don't know if she's going to live, I had a couple of friends that said, you know, no offense, but we almost hoped you wouldn't, because we thought, if, if this is a head injury, you'll never be the same. Well, you'll sure. Never be Mary Jo. And um, that was just something that, it was just so devastating for the neighborhood. When you, when you found out the truth, what, this is the question I've always had about this story. How could you let this man back in your life? I didn't find out the truth for many, many years. Oh, really? Because, as you have probably seen by my book, I was married to a very good sociopath. Mm -hmm. And he told me and convinced me, and not only me, but our entire families, both families, that she was out of her mind, and all he did was fix her car, and that he convinced us. He had us all believing it. This is a man who acted like a wrongly accused man. He was furious when the police came and uh, questioned him about it. Again, this is all what I know from my point of view so he told you he was just an innocent bystander in the entire incident? Yes, that, that he fixed her car, he was friendly with her, he knew her. And, you know, in a business, and when you're in any kind of a business, customer service is, is number one. So he took it to I, an extreme, I guess. I guess, I guess. But he has never to this day admitted it other than what I've seen on television. I mean, he, he did get sentenced for... Statutory. Yeah. Right. So right. The, obviously something was going on. But then, you see, he convinced us also that this was um, a case of malicious prosecution, and he was only going to take this guilty plea to end it. Oh, and he always had a story, and amazingly, he convinced 
everybody, his, our friends, our families. It wasn't like just I was the gullible one. He had us all believing that he was a victim of malicious prosecution. Well, that is one of the characteristics of the sociopath, and I write about a lot of them, is they do have the ability to charm and manipulate. Had you had, you had it, excuse me, did you have any suspicion that he had been playing around before this incident? Never. That was the, the one of the things. Never, ever, ever. Um, if, if there was, I never knew about it. Nobody's ever come forward since. I look back at my life with him, and I write in my book that uh, he was addicted to cocaine for the first 10 years of our marriage. And he went and he got sober in October of 1988. And I feel now, knowing the behavior of a sociopath, he had to replace that life of that living on the edge, which is what sociopaths do, mm -hmm. with something else. And so the behavior became buy a big boat, buy a fancy car, um, and have an affair with a with a teenage girl. Uh, Mary, Mary Jo, let me let me interject. It's, this is uh, Matt Allen. It's Matt Allen, aka Magic Matt. You were probably a huge fan of mine on Z100 in New York back in that day. Hi, Matt. Yeah, it, it's a uh, pleasure. I met your uh, your lovely, luscious husband years ago doing a radio show. In fact, this radio show, but at this time we were in a studio. Al Goldstein walked in because he was booked uh, to be a guest on the show. He walks in with what turns out to be your husband. Joey Buttafuoco. Okay. Now, I was not a fan of this guy, I must tell you. I guess. And so I introduced him as the world's most hated man. And that was my first introduction to Joey. Now, I've known Joey, and we've run into each other off and on for many years. And he did replace an engine in my Mercedes. Turns out... You were a show by yourself. Yeah, it was, the wrong, it was the wrong engine. It was an engine for a different model Mercedes. So, Why am I not surprised? So I, I, You know, it's running really rough, and I can't get it. Yeah. So I bring it to another guy, and I say, well, that's a wrong friggin' engine. So I bring it back to him, and he finds another engine. I also had him do body work, and it was, I must tell you... It's sloppy, but th it, it happened here in the valley in Los Angeles. Right. So he was probably had his act together there in Long Island with a family business, but came out here, and I don't know what the hell he was doing. But I don't think he knew either. But you know, my question, and and thank you for uh, spending some time with the great Burl Bear and Don Woolman, and and now uh, myself here on this show, minding his own business. Um, I need to know in all the years that I have have talked to, I've run into him at the Moonlight Bunny Ranch in in. Uh, in Nevada, uh, you know, time and time again, once a year I run into him, or he'll, mm -hmm. I'll hear somebody, hey, yo, Magic Matt, and it's him, and it's Joey, you know, somewhere on Sunset, uh, near the whiskey. And so, right. but to this day, he swears up and down, and I have, you know, when he's snockered and we're both drunk, yep. he swears up and down that nothing ever happened with Amy Fisher. He never had sexual relations with that woman. Most men will never cop out to the truth but, in that situation, man. But married, but what is your gut? What does your gut tell you? Did he or did he not mess around? You're a woman who should know, for God's sakes. Well, now my gut says, of course it happened. Right. But was it an affair, a love affair? Did he want me dead? And you know her? No. Was it something, it was that, that risky behavior that sociopaths need to, to mm -hmm. have, it's in their brain, right. that I'm sure, you know, she was a very sexual young girl. Right, and, and, and nuts, so, and, and nuts as the day is long. So Why could you say that? What you're saying is your husband, you do believe that even though he, time and time again, and he's 100% uh, uh, 
he's never backed off the fact that right. no, I have not had the any sort of sexual relation. Okay, you do believe he did have some sort of thing w- with her, but I'm with you. I don't believe that he put her up to anything. No. Not no harm to you. You know the guys. The, the guys maybe a scumbag, but he's. I don't right. think he's a killer. Yeah, usually what happens in this kind of a syndrome is that he says, I love you, but, you know, nothing can ever come of our relationship on a permanent basis because I've got a wife. And that's how it, there is your motive. I want to ask Matt a question. So what you were saying is, you know, you run into him every once in a while. Is he not like the friendliest, the nicest? I I was about to say this. When I introduced him at one day many years ago as the world's most hated man, the, the guy charmed the friggin' pants off me. Charmed yeah. the parent, not literally, but... but <laughs> You're wrong gender. Right, but That's encouraging. He is... Joey Buttafuoco is one of the most charming characters you will ever meet in yeah. your life. Well, she fell in love with him for yeah. heaven's sake. and was married he, to him and he, stayed with him. He is, man. He's one of those guys that you can't help but like. And, and is that, that amazing? I'm, I'm so glad to hear you say that. It's I had true. no idea you'd be on this show. Or, and that's why... When I write about this, it's like everybody loves it's, Joe. It's and, true. I wanted to hate the guy, and yeah. and it's like uh, what's his name from the uh, the OJ? Uh, who's the guy? He's been over here a bunch of times. The blonde guy, Kato Kato Kato. I wanted to hate that guy. There's another charming character. Of course, he didn't kill anyone, as far as we know. <laughs> but but neither yeah. did your husband. But yes, you are correct. He is charming as hell, and and uh, you know we do sort of look at you as as sort of and with with all due respect, sort of a big dummy for hanging in there right. and, and defending this guy, because whether he put someone up to trying to kill you or not, damn it, there was a lot of harm done to you with a big old gunshot to your head, man. That's wrong. <laughs> when I look back now and realize this is a mental behavior that, that he has, and he didn't. it's never going to get fixed, it's never going to get... Uh, cured, he can't take a pill for it, he can't go to therapy for it. You're right, being a, a sociopath has no conscience and no uh, feelings of remorse. And Mary so Jo, in fairness to you with children, you wanted to believe him. Well, I, you're right, of course I did. I'd never heard of this girl before, I'd never seen her before. It wasn't like, oh my God, she's back. I mean, this came literally out of the blue. The shot in the head was out of the blue. And nobody seemed to know, nobody ever saw her with him, um, people were saying that Joey was this wonderful family man who loved his children and his wife, and oh, it, it was. Well, it's a it believable scenario absolutely. because it's possible to have stalkers. I've had them. Uh, maybe Matt's had them. Uh, you can get a seventeen-year-old girl who gets obsessive and gets wacko. And no. she was stalking me uh, six months. They, the police did uh, establish because two young teenage boys came forward. That six months earlier, she wanted them to kill me. She paid them oh. money to give them oral sex. And that's recorded Boy. in the police reports. Um, I bet the guys and- got the sex and didn't kill you, right? Well, they took the money and the sex, as most stupid 17-year-olds would well, do. Well, no, they, they were too stupid. Hey, Mary Jo, it, Mary jo, <laughs> it's, it, Mary jo it's Matt, Matt here again. Before, before I take off here, I, I, I do want to say that, you know, sort of the scummy thing about your, uh, your ex-husband is that he he loved the spotlight and you (laughs) noticed huh i spent i've spent a lot of time with with her ex-husband and this man eats up showbiz 
uh, to the point where I, I mean, I've been in show business since I was a kid, and this guy is ridiculous when it comes to loving the spotlight. Well, man, as you probably know, he's been making periodic appearances with Amy Fisher on Howard Stern show for years. I know, I know, and I, I and so no matter how charming he is, he is a bit of a scumbag. And if he wants to come over here, am I going to say no, no? I because he'll charm me into it again. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm glad. Hey, Mary Jo, I must tell you, I'm glad that you're alive, and I hope you make some some bucks with this book because you deserve something out of this friggin' gunshot to the head. Oh, well, thanks, Matt. Yeah. Thanks. He's a good-hearted guy, no Mary, matter what they say about at, him. At what point did you decide that you wanted to write a book about this? Well, really, I mean, I've been approached for years to do this, and I was always like, no, it's an old story. You've seen the TV movies. I mean, it's just, I never wanted to go back there. It was so insane for so many years. And what convinced me to write the book was my, my son and I, uh, who was now 30, who was 12 years old when this happened, we were uh, having dinner, and we were talking about his father, and it was during the period that him and Amy Fisher, that, that Joey and Amy Fisher, went into Manhattan, and they were going on a date, and they were going to divorce their spouses, and... Uh, Trying to do a reality together. show. And... Oh, oh, my God. And, I mean, ugly. You know, we did not know this, and any of us, until we saw it on television, and my my kids were furious. I mean, they were furious. Like, how dare he? How could he do this? This is the woman who tried to kill our mother. And But, you know, with Joe, it doesn't matter. That was a long time ago, and so what? But what what happened was, I, for the umpteenth time, I, I said to my son, what? I don't get him. I don't get this. I don't get why he does this. I don't understand why he doesn't think of us when he does this. And my son, matter-of-factly, said, because he's a sociopath, Mom. And I couldn't wrap my head around that word. I always thought of a sociopath as a Ted Bundy or a Charlie. Well, yeah, Dan. that's where you're yeah, getting it's, into it's the, kind of a coverall word. Well, you, that's the difference between like the psychopath and the sociopath. Right. So I, it disturbed me enough that I sat down at the computer and I put the word in and I just started reading everything I could about it. And it was during that time that the hair stood on the back of my neck and I went, "Oh my God." This is what I've been living with. This is what Joe is. And all of my life, the stories, the, the, uh, the behaviors, everything pointed to he is a sociopath. And he is in that percentage. They say between like 1% and 4% of the adult population are yeah. sociopaths. And the interesting thing is one of the world's leading experts on sociopaths and psychopaths is Dr. Robert Hare of Vancouver, British yes. Columbia. And he helped me a great deal with, uh, with a book I did called Murder in the Family. And yes, and I, I looked at all his readings and writings also and came to this conclusion, and I started reliving some of the stories that in my head you know, before I got shot, just things that I didn't see this. I didn't realize that you can be a sociopath and live. You know, you're not going to murder anybody, no, but you're going to no. rip them off or rob like Matt, like he got his car fixed and it was the wrong thing because they probably, he probably took the money and put in crappy stuff. And this is what they <laughs> you do. got that right. They do, yeah. And the interesting thing is, is that... Uh, it is possible for sociopaths to live lives that do not involve that sort of behavior, uh, especially if you can catch them by the time they're 14. Uh, and, and there's an interesting thing that you, you think you'll find this interesting anyway, Mary Jo. Uh, there was a forum on the Internet of talking about sociopaths, and a sociopath came on and said, Hi, I'm a sociopath. I don't do these things that you're talking about. Because, like all sociopaths, I don't think of anyone but myself. And I have learned that if I do these things, my life will be bad. 
bad things will happen to me. I'll go to jail. This will happen. That's all. So I've made a conscious choice not to do the symptomatic things that I would do if I didn't know better. So it is possible. I, possible, but I you don't know. I disagree with that because to me, I've always thought if you think you're a sociopath, you're not because that seems to be the issue. I think These you're right. People have no conscience. Or yes, no. no con- yeah, especially the say have no conscience. Might well carve a turkey, carve a person. Uh, I, and, and respectfully, and, and, well, you, you yeah. hung in with this guy for a number of years after this. Oh, yeah. Well, for, you know, I, people ask me that, and that's one of the, that's the subtitle, why I stayed. Um, I, this, I was shot in the head. I almost died. I was as good as dead. They brought me back. Um, I had years of agony and, and operations. I had two small children that our house was a crime scene. The media was in front of our house constantly. It was a barrage nonstop. Um, I was too sick. I was raised Irish Catholic. I believed Joe. We all did. So the insanity of it, what I got caught up in, I was not mentally capable of of. of Understand. Of course, plus you're, tra- you're, tra- you're a traumatized woman physically and emotionally. Yes. And there had been no issue of infidelity before that day. There had been other issues, but certainly not, not that. that. When did you really start to suspect the truth here? I, You know, I think about it and, you know, I try to realize, like, I was a willing victim of this. I, I bought into this, but I was... Well versed, I was in the relationship for twenty years. The day I got shot, um, it's it was never one aha moment. Like you know what he did sleep with him because to this day I don't know. He tells me he didn't, just like he told Matt. He doesn't do it, but she said they did. Now she also said that she got he got her the gun and he set her up and and she has since said no. That was the attorney who you know tried right. to do Joey made me do it defense. But there's no videotape of the two of them. It's their words. You've got the words of a sociopath and a psychopath. <laughs> I don't Put them together and what have you got? Bibbidi-bobbidi-boo. But there seems yeah, to be a clue go. when he pleaded guilty to statutory rape. Oh, but my goodness, was that a grandstanding? I'm only doing this because, you see, the original charge was 19 counts of statutory rape, meaning Oy. 19 different sexual acts. Uh, each one carrying one and a third to four years. So they come after you and say, okay, do you want to go to jail for the rest of your life because uh, you had sex with this with this underage girl who, by the way, shot your wife, but, you know, who cares, <laughs> who cares about, about that? that yeah. um, and then, so it was it was this overzealous prosecution, which it was, because it's like 19 counts. What were they, counting the, the oral sex and the, the hands? and the, It was just silly. <laughs> Arm tits, back of the knees. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. So, and this was based on Amy Fisher's word. Now, at the time, I'm like, this girl came to my house and took a gun out and shot me. This is not a stable person. So I got on the bandwagon of, you're going after my husband. He didn't do anything. You should be blaming her. She came here, tried to kill me. End of story. I don't care what she says. She also said to me that her name was Anne Marie, and she said she had a little sister. And she said, you know, so I got caught up in that she's a liar, and you're believing her over him. So the point was, after like a year and a half of this, when they said they were going after Joe full guns with this, it was, of course, well, you know, for the good of the country and to end this, I will, I will cop a plea, one count, which is a six-month sentence, and I will serve four months. Oh, it's a smart thing to do. Be over. No. So we thought so. We thought if we let him go to trial, 
like you said, he was the most hated man in the world at the time, that he was never going to get a fair trial. A change of venue had been rejected. It just, it wasn't... Well, I, think you did, I think you did the right thing in sticking up for for him at this particular point. Yeah, but that's also that almost very tough if he's got 19 counts Oh, yeah, I mean, that's too him. much. That is overzealous. Yeah, it, it, it really was. And the, and the funny thing was the 19 counts were over four days. So, oh, what a busy man. I know. <laughs> Say, honey, you could testify whether you could testify whether that whether or not that was an accurate portrayal of his abilities and stamina. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so the Nassau County Police almost made themselves look stupid by charging him with 19 counts of, of statutory rape over, in a four day period. It, it was like just overkill. It was like, oh my gosh! But they did that, I think, so that they could get. A, a lesser condition. Yeah, that's standard yeah. operating procedure in a lot of these criminal cases. They right. just put as many counts in there as possible to cop a deal. Right. Now, I want to go move on to, to, to something else here. With the shot in the head, uh, you must have been in a lot of pain. You want yeah. to, <laughs> I guess. I would imagine, having not been shot in the head, I can't say right. speak from experience, but I would imagine that you could wind up being dependent upon those pain pills for a hell right. of a long time. Absolutely. I was. For for seven years, I was. Now, also, and as I understand it, at some point in time, she started contacting you. Um, well, that, the, the, again, gotta, did you plug the book, Getting It Through My Thick Skull? Yeah, that's a great title, too. That's a marvelous title. Um, it, it was a process. In the book, I write about the process. I, this happened. I'm, I'm in pain. I'm in agony. I have to have surgeries. I have all these problems. I, I take more pills, more pills. Joe gets arrested again for soliciting a hooker in L.A. three years later. I start to take these pills just because I'm tired of, of thinking and feeling. I'm just defeated and depressed. We uh, move out to L.A. It was there that I got help and went, went into the Betty Ford Center. And it was there that I learned that this depression that I had was this anger that I had at everybody. My husband, my her. Oh, you've been carrying it around for years. Right. So that was the beginning of the turnaround of that process. And then when that happened, a few months after I was sober, I got a call from Amy Fisher's lawyer that she wanted to send me a letter. Now, this is seven years after I'd been shot, so this took a long time. <laughs> what did you say and to him? she wrote me a couple of letters apologizing. Well, that was nice of her. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, listen, not too many people get that, uh, the fact that she did. I, I was I was grateful to get that. I mean, didn't well, she? Well, you go through the program, and she's the one making amends. There's well, but here's, here's the other side of it. Was she really trying to make amends, or was she trying to get out of jail early? Um, now I know she was trying to get out of jail early. Okay. Uh, that's just my opinion. But I've been taking it at face value. The woman did try to apologize. She did, um, but I believe it was all part of the I'm a, I'm a good girl now, and uh, you know I learned my lesson, and I bought it. I bought into it because I wanted to. Exactly. Uh, say I have to let this down. I have to let it go. I can't hate this person for the rest of my life. It's just eating me up inside. So um, she ha she was retried in 1999, and I publicly forgave her, and she got out of jail after serving like seven and a half years. But they put her on four years of um, parole. Make sure she doesn't shoot anybody else. Yeah. Well. You know, I, I look at her now all these years later, and, you know, you see what she is. She's a stripper and an X-rated porn person. and it's, Everyone it's a needs bad. a hobby. Yeah. Well, what else <laughs> is she going to do? Yeah, I mean, what, what, what is her, her life skills? You know, I guess well. she has, could only capitalize on, uh, on her one famous bad deed.
I think there's a lot of self-loathing there that she just can't get over what she did to me, and this is how she is living her life in in, in this way. You know, one thing that I, I find fascinating, and, and I started the program with it, of the thing of people, some people seek out the limelight and others have it thrust upon them. You certainly had it thrust upon you with a loud bang that day. And yeah. after everything you've been through and then doing this book and having gone through Betty Ford for the, the painkiller things, I don't know if you're in a program or not, but now you are in a place where you can be of significant value to other women or other men, for that matter. Yeah, one of the taglines to your book is why people involved with sociopaths, what they need to know. What they need to know. And I didn't know any of this. I didn't realize that these kind of people existed. I thought you were either a bad person or a good person. And understanding the behavior of the sociopath, they can go through their whole lives hurting other people, but not to the point, that, like my case, but divorce or, or cheating or, or robbing. I, I, you know, I use Bernie Madoff as an example of a classic sociopath. This is a man who carried out this stuff for years and years and years, and he duped thousands and thousands of people. He's very good. He wasn't violent. But when you have no conscience or remorse, you don't care what you do. You do it with a smile on your face. You tell the people all the stuff they want to hear, the right things that they want to hear. They, they know how to read people. Mm -hmm. And that's what the majority of sociopaths are. So when you're with one of them, and there's just chaos in your life, and you get these, they're so nice, and everybody likes them, and you can't figure out what they, it's like this Jekyll and Hyde thing. What it is, it's, this could be what it is. And if I had seen the signs 20 years ago before I got shot and realized this man is never going to change, I might have gotten out of the marriage. I didn't know that this existed, and that's what I'm hoping that I can bring to light now, that this is, it's out there. It's 1% oh, of the I'm population. I'm very, very, very well aware of it. Uh, you know, as, as you're probably aware of having talked to Dr. Robert Hare, that even rhymes, uh, you can make someone a sociopath or even a psychopath by a combination of head injury, uh, and which you've had, <laughs> I'm glad to see you haven't become one, and emo emotional and or sexual abuse. Uh, I've being that I had a head injury when I was a child. That explains everything. It does, yes. Uh, <laughs> I do have some of the symptoms of a sociopath. Okay. Uh, but awareness enough I of, got a them, list. <laughs> of them. Is yeah, the, I'm listening. <laughs> that you are correct on the living on the edge part. Uh, the, almost a uh, an, uh, an addiction to, uh, although not as extreme as some other members of my family. You know, I, I can't of, of that nine one one addiction of being in an emotional nine one one state. And I think Joey must have had that. Well, but you know, on a, on a current basis, you must be very interested in what's going on with Tiger Woods and his conduct. I watched, you know, this. Obviously, I've even a few TV shows I've quoted on it. And um, but I don't see him as a sociopath. I see him as an idiot, but I don't see him as a sociopath. <laughs> I'll tell you. If, if well, but but here's the other side of it. Obviously, when you get involved with other women on the level he is, isn't he putting his own family at risk? Of course, he is. He's more narcissistic. And mm -hmm. from what I've seen and read and heard about him over the years through all of this, you know, he doesn't have. He didn't have that personality that people were drawn and. Friendly. I heard he was very, like, standoffish and kind of like, I'm who I am, and, you know, you can take it or leave it. And he, when he did say, I felt that I was above all of this, that I was entitled to this, that's the classic signs of a narcissist. 
which the rules don't apply mm, to me, yeah. and of course he's hurting his family. Now he's sorry because he got caught. Yeah, I'll, you I'll, tell you, right. I'll tell you one thing. If, if I went after my spouse with a nine iron, I'd be in leg irons. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> he well, denies that. Yeah. Well, no, no. She went after him with a nine iron. Uh, of course she did. I, and you know what? And it, it amazes me that she wasn't arrested for that. Well, I don't think because, we, you know, there's no proof that he... She hit him with it. I think she beat the car up more than him, and she was probably screaming Auto at him. Auto assault. <laughs> well, there had to be some reason why at 2 in the morning he hit a tree from the from his car. Right. right. Yeah. This is a man who, on, yeah, again, he could have solved. None of this would have happened if he had never gotten married and never had kids. Like, what was this need? And I think that was because of the sponsorships that he had to appear as this all-American yeah, like guy with a beautiful... <laughs> wife and the children and that's why he got these sponsorships there was no need he's like, he's been married four years he has a couple of babies what the heck you were doing this years before and you were doing it all through why this need to be married to this woman i think that was to bs the the, the corporations and the sponsors yeah, well, there's another thing involving celebrities and typically athletes i mean women literally are falling all over them they're more than just available they'll find them in their rooms at night even though they're not invited and it's a monstrous temptation unless you're a very strong person to stay away from it. Well, Tiger could have been like a George Clooney, and nobody would have thought twice. This was came out with nobody would have reacted twice. As long as the guy could play a good game of golf, who cares how many women he would have been sleeping with? That's true. I mean, after all, I do a great radio show. Who cares who I sleep with? After the two of you split, then, of course, Joey ends up in an auto insurance fraud case. Yeah. Which kind of verifies the sociopath aspect of him. Oh, it, it's it's just ongoing. And it's funny. Matt's not there, is he still? Uh, he's, he's around, he's around he's... somewhere. We can find him. Oh, <laughs> because it's, it's interesting to know this. When he said he brought his car there, and he brought it there again, and he brought it there again. Even though he heard all this, I'm sure Joey told him, Ah, oh, you know, this is going to be okay. This is going to be great. Like, here's a man who kept going back. Yeah, here's Matt, the, here's Matt right now. He came back. Speaking of, of sociopaths coming back, here's Matt. talking about his coming back and I'm back. Come, come out of my closet. <laughs> Good morning. Well, Matt, I'm interested to say, like you said, even though you got shoddy work done or you found out after the fact that it wasn't the right job, you went back. You kept going back. Well, because, what, we, did he... Yeah, like I, I went back once. It was an insurance deal, so you know he's doing uh, doing it as inexpensively as possible, and then uh, making a, a ton from the insurance company. Did he convince you that he made a mistake in putting in the wrong? Oh, engine? I knew he was full of crap, but I, <laughs> but I said so. Put a, put the right engine in there. You know, right. and he, then he finally did. But it, it, that engine ended up blowing up later, and then, then I stopped, you know, dealing with him. But no. I, it, finally, <laughs> it's funny. It's, a, finally. it's but it's damn near worth the story. You know that Joey Buttafuoco put the wrong. Friggin' engine in my car. I mean, it's it's almost worth the, the, this happening. So you can talk a, about it on the radio. Yeah, it's it's very tale. consistent with who he is. Yeah, it's true. So, hey, but that's Matt. That's yeah. what we were speaking about. About he'd gotten uh, busted for insurance fraud in, yeah. in two thousand and four. So this has been going on. Forget about it. Yeah, that's you know that's what, that's him. That's hey, Lori. Did you sign in? Did you say hi to Mary Joe? Lori Downey Jr. Come over here, please. Grab this microphone. He's not a Long Islander here. The great uh, Laurie Downey Jr., who uh, grew up uh, on the island and, uh, well, then eventually married uh, the great Morton Downey Jr., which makes her Laurie Downey Jr. Let me uh, give her the headphones. <laughs> Say hi to Mary Jo, because you, you are so familiar with this area. And, right. You know, and probably Joey. 
Hi, Mary Jo. Hi, Lori. You know, you sound terrific. Well, thank you. Yeah. Thank you know you what? I'm wondering, how are your children doing through this? Good question. Well, the children are 27 and 30 now. Um, you know, they certainly were affected by this. This this destroyed their life as as they knew it. Well, yeah, you've got to go back and at, at their you have to go back in time to their ages when this happened. Yeah, to be nine years old and twelve years old, and it's bad enough. First of all, mommy's almost been murdered, and then your house turns into a three ring circus, and your life turns into a three ring circus, and then they go after your father. You know, mommy. It was just it just. I know they've got a lot of scars from it. And but the only one they, enjoying it is Joey. <laughs> you know, it's true. He he doesn't get it. He never will. And it was my son, thank God, who said that, because my son is not like his father at all, which is a good, good thing. Good thing. And neither is my daughter. He's, he's, Joe has a, a pathological need to lie constantly. And be in the limelight. I mean, he was involved. Remember, there was that celebrity boxing show. <laughs> guy and he, he was going to have a fight with John Wayne Bobbitt. Oh, uh, I, I wasn't married to him. I remember this stuff. And like you said, I just would always shake my head. He doesn't care. He made a sex tape with his wife. He Oi. doesn't care oh, that yeah. he doesn't. As long as he's well, out there and being talked about, did anybody about, he buy it? Care. Well, the proof that he doesn't care was that Bob had got in trouble and that uh, his opposition turned out to be a female wrestler. <laughs> but at least Joey won the fight. <laughs> uh, if Joey gets paid money, he will do anything. That's the anything. answer. So now, now that you, you you went through Betty Ford, you got over the painkiller thing. You got kind of a whole new perspective. I'm reminded of the story. The lady looks out the window and she sees her three kids playing with skunks. And she yells, run, kids, run. And each kid picks up a skunk and runs. And I think like for 20-some years, you were carrying those skunks. You know? The, uh, yeah. And you finally put them down. Again, I started very young with him. I've knew, knew, known him all of my life. Uh, we were teenagers, hanging out with the same friends together. Um... I look back now, and we have all grown up, and he hasn't. That Everybody I've ever known, brothers, sisters, parents, friends, we've all grown up, and he is the only one that hasn't. Do your kids have any contact with him? Yes, they, they do. Um, I don't ask, and they don't often tell, because they are adults, and it's not my business. I don't need to have any contact with Joe. And, I mean, if they say to me, oh, yeah, I went out with Dad last night, and... You know, he did that, that, that. I just go, oh, okay. I don't offer advice, and um, they don't really ask, which is which is the way it should be. I'm, I'm, you know, their mother. I'm not their spy. They can make their own decisions. Now, as far as romance goes, I bet it took a while before you felt comfortable trusting a guy again. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> you think? Yes. Yeah. I I write that in the book too. I went was alone after I left Joe in 2000. I was alone for two and a half years, but actually, it turned out to be good because i went from my parents house to getting married to having kids i had never been alone and now at this stage my my children are grown up and i'm getting a divorce and what am i going to do with my life so i i did i did a lot of self-reflecting i went back to school still was not aware of what joe was not not then i didn't figure this out until about two years ago i couldn't put a name on what he was um yeah, and then this man, I met, you know, I started dating, but not for a long, long time. And I thought, I'm done. I'm never, who's going to want to marry me or be with me, for God's sake? Look who my ex-husband is. 
And I met this wonderful man, and uh, we've been together almost eight years now. Mm. And how does he deal with you being in the limelight? He is so wonderful. He's so supportive. I said, this is a man who is a man. He's very secure in his own manliness. What other man could put up with me constantly talking about my ex-husband <laughs> and the life with my ex-husband? And, he, and he's proud of me. He says, you've got a message to tell, Mary Jo, and you need to tell it. Now, that, well, that's a good question. I mean, that's one of the things you talk about in your book is, what did you learn from all this? <laughs> what did I learn from all this? <laughs> Life is a learning process. I'm still learning stuff. I, I've learned to forgive. I've learned to get stronger when I wanted to be weak. I've learned to forgive when I didn't want to, when I wanted to continue to hate. Um, I've learned that, you know, you have to love even when you don't want to love anymore. It's just, it's life. It's the lessons in life. But the, the important thing about it is, listen, we all screw up. We all make mistakes. We all do poor, poor judgments on some things. But if we learn from them and grow up from them and move on, then, then it's okay. That's worth it. That's the quote in, in the very beginning of the book that I love from Maya Angelou was, I did then what I knew then, but when I knew better, I did better. Yeah. Well, you had to have learned because otherwise you couldn't have the relationship you appear to have now with your present spouse. Oh, yes. A lot of people do seem to go back into the pattern of, well, I, this is all I know. Mm -hmm. I knew once I was done with Joe, like, I'd never go you back. You knew you didn't again. want that again. I knew it. I knew it. Now, you know, I'd rather be alone than be miserable again. And, and that was, so it was okay in my own head. It was like, I'm, I'm fine with myself. I'll be more content with myself. This, this is icing on the cake to meet a man who shares my values and shares my morals and shares my principles and who is a partner and not another child that I have, which is what Joe was, all of my men. Well, you're familiar, with the, uh, you're familiar with the expression, I'm sure there's a distorted sense of security in familiar pain, which is one reason why people do stay. That's in pretty pain. esoteric. I, well, it's a very clear statement. <laughs> There is it's a, a very clear statement, but I never thought that way. I never thought, gee, I'm not complete unless my life is chaotic and crazy. No, I don't think you have a, people have an that. awareness of it, but at least there's the pain you know compared to the pain you don't know. I guess. You know, you think back to the statement by Lou Gehrig and it applies to you. You may be the luckiest woman on the face of the earth. Well, that's very sweet, and sometimes when I'm a little tired and maybe a little depressed and saying, oh, why did this happen in my life? Um, I do look back and say, well, what a gift that now it took this many years, but now I have something that I can offer people. And if it, if it helps one person or two people, I'm thrilled. That's wonderful. Then it was all worth going through. Because you could have gone so far out of the spotlight entirely if you'd wanted to. You could have. You know, and I did want to, but it, this was this message to me was more powerful than my selfish need to want to just go away and hide and pretend none of this ever happened. And just this to me was, you know what? This infamy came to me for a reason. This notoriety that came to me for this ridiculous reason. If something good can come out of it, then I'll I'll put myself back out there. Yeah. That, and that, that's a very admirable, admirable thing to do. Well, you sound absolutely great. Now, did you have you have some uh, some further surgery? Even though you still have that bullet resting comfortably within you. <laughs> now, you were on TV, and uh, if I got the story right, you, you tell me. That, and the doctor is seeing you on TV and goes, "Oh, I think I can do something for her." Yeah, um, I was on the Oprah show in two thousand and 
four, I think, with my daughter um, talking about this. And my, the right side of my face as a result of being shot is paralyzed. I've uh, lost the hearing in my right ear and um, my, the vision in my right eye. And the, the nerve damage is there, and it's always going to be there. You my God. severed these, these facial nerves. So I was on there, and this doctor from Beverly Hills, Dr. Azizadeh, who I talk about in the book, he that's his specialty, for facial paralysis. And he got a hold of the show, and they got a hold of me. And he set up this wonderful team of doctors. They talk about angels that came into my life and helped fix. In other words, the paralysis is there, but they did some surgery to kind of make my face more symmetrical-looking, so that if you look at me, you go, oh, it doesn't look like anything happened to her, whereas a few years ago, it, it definitely did. Mm -hmm. So they've just been marvelous and w wonderful people. Well, that's fantastic. See, things are working out bit by bit. As long as that, if that bullet moves, are you in big trouble? Oh, it's not going to move. It, 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 they, cause when they went to look for it and they said, well, it's there, but as you know, scar tissue forms around foreign objects, and they, it would have been too much... To try and go in and get it would have done more damage than to just leave it there knowing that scar tissue would form around it. So mm -hmm. that it's, it's not going in. Uh, I'm assuming also that you, because of all these painkillers is how you ended up going into Betty Ford. Oh, that, that's exactly right. You know, I was up to like 30 pills a day. Wow. And I was functioning at the time. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was a zombie, but I was functioning. And it became more that I was taking them to suppress my depression and my anger and all and more so than i mean certainly there was pain involved but not to that extent anymore it, it, they i became dependent on them and i didn't want to be anymore was it a, a difficult uh, withdrawal physically and emotionally for you awful awful awful, yeah, awful. getting I, off of those I, kind of medications is the worst uh, yeah they say that like codeine withdrawals i write about it in the book just the withdrawal it, just the and, and oh, the, my, my blood pressure went down and sweats, night sweats and throwing up and horrible. Mm -hmm. But you lived through that. I made it. <laughs> <laughs> she, we can tell that she's still alive, ladies and gentlemen, because this is live, but we're not doing this through a Ouija board. That's right. My kids always say that my theme song is I'm Still Standing by Elton John. <laughs> the name of the book is, of course, Getting It Through My Thick Skull. Who came up with that title? Yeah, that's a good question. Oh, you did. You did. <laughs> well, it's it's an old family joke. All of my life growing up, I, I grew up in the 60s, and I have a thick Irish skull. And my mother used to say to me all the time, Ah, oh, when are you going to get it through your thick head? Or when are you going to get it through your thick skull? She always started every conversation with those words when I wanted to do something that, you know, I couldn't do for the millionth time. So after I got shot and I'm laying in the hospital and I, I now it's been a couple of days and I'm awake and they tell me you've been shot in the head and I'm like, oh my God. I looked at my family and we have this gallows Irish sense of humor and that's when I took my mother's hand and I said, you see, Ma, this thick skull finally came in handy. <laughs> 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 and, and I made, you know, and I looked like hell. I mean, I realized... Oh, I remember what I you looked like, Mary. I was so concerned with them, like, they looked awful. They had just been through three or four days of this, what on earth, their daughter was almost murdered in front of the house, and we don't know who did this, that it was my way of saying, I'm going to be okay, like, to make them okay. Mm -hmm. Now, I know this is probably the one question no one has ever asked you. All right. Did you ever go back <laughs> and finish painting the bench? 
<laughs> I know. As a matter of fact, God bless my neighbors. They did. Oh, there you are. I still have visions my, of that can of paint still sitting out there on Long Island. <laughs> my uh, neighbors were so wonderful. They rallied around us and protected us and took care of us, uh, fed us. Uh, protected us, put a gate behind our house so we could go over to the beach club uh, and finish painting the bench for me. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that was good. Well, that was a happy ending, see? Yeah. And the kids are comfortable with the book, right? Uh, yes, it was my son, it's for them, and it was my son was the reason I wrote this. And when we talked about it, they said, you know, Paul, I think people need to know about this. And they gave me their blessings, and they're very proud of me. They've come to my book signings and i've introduced them and um they're they're very very proud of their their old mom well i gotta say i i went out i've, I've read the reviews of the book of course and uh, i'm always uh, i'm always a little nervous about reading reviews that aren't by professional reviewers just because i don't like reading my own <laughs> yeah but these are good, these are good reviews yeah well uh, she had a few mixed as i do uh but the ones who praise it the most really get to the heart and soul of it, they were. One person mentioned that they were afraid it was going to be a little tabloidian, you know, right. a little exploitive, and they had their head totally turned around and admired you so much after reading this book. And that's well, that, that means a lot. Uh, you know, it it was my one chance, and everybody's got their own uh, con conception of what what the story is. You've heard it a million times. You can look it up on the internet and get an idea. But it was my, like, I want to let people know this is what I've learned. Like, this is what it was before I got shot, a little bit before what it was like to be shot, what went on during that insane period, and then the struggles that I went through all through those years. I, it was a lot of struggling, and, and there's one incident where I do. I talk about, I, I would stand in front of the medicine cabinet with all those pills, and I'd be like, if I just take them all, I can end all of this. And here uh. I survived something that was almost unsurvivable and yet i got to a point and it was like three years later where i was feeling that way like this is just this hell is never going to end well you know what our time together has ended for today but i recommend everyone run out immediately either online or in person and get getting it through my thick skull by mary joe barbuco Lori, you want to say something before she goes? Mary, you're terrific. God bless oh, you. Beautiful cool. grace. Yeah, your uplifting you. personality is wonderful to hear. Please hang on the line. Don't hang up yet. Okay. okay. Okay, hang on there. Uh, All right, you got it. <laughs> okay, Barry Joe. Uh, Don Wolman, thanks again for a great show. Matt, thanks for producing another hour of brilliance. I'm the legendary Burl Bear. Magic Matt Allen and the Demons of Decadence. Next, live from the Lighten Up Lounge. I'm a mechanical boy.